Um, Do turn to Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to read the, the whole chapter, Exodus 16. We're preaching through Exodus in in Oxford. It's been a great joy. And we've reached, as it were, the point where the the great work of redemption has been accomplished. God has brought his his people out of the land of, of Egypt. He has brought them through the place of death and judgment, the Red Sea. But for them, it's become the place of of new life and identity as, as a nation. And yet... As it were, almost immediately following on from the very song of, of joy has come failure. As God's people have grumbled at lack of water, yet God has still provided in Exodus 15. Miraculously provided water that they might live. But to see in Exodus 16 that their trust in, in his, his provision still fails. Let me pray before I read that this will be heard by us as, as what it is, that the words of the living God. Let's pray. Father, who brought your people through the Red Sea and has brought us through the waters of of death by the Lord Jesus Christ in the great and and final Passover, as those who've been sprinkled with his blood and now look to your provision to bring us through the wilderness of this life to heavenly glory, would you speak to us as you did to the generation in the wilderness? Would you show us your character unchanging? And would you give us grace to trust in you? Would these words be a means by which you would accomplish just that? In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me read Exodus 16. So God's people set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you shall not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ether. These are God's very words. What we expect to get can make all the difference to how much we enjoy it when we get it. It's a pretty obvious feature of life. We all look forward to our birthday and Christmas presents. And I guess we can go one of two ways. We can either, as it were, ramp up the expectation. I expect that the brand new bike, so that when I get the pair of socks, I'm deeply disappointed. Or I can go the other way and expect nothing more than the pair of socks, I get the brand new bike. What we're expecting will affect how much I enjoy it when I get it. Expectation really, really matters. It makes all the difference between a happy birthday or Christmas day, or one full of of sadness and, and disappointment. Which makes urgent the question for us, I think, what do we expect God to give to us? 
If I said to you, what do you expect God to provide for you, to to give to you in the, the week, the month, the year, the decade ahead, what would your answer be? Do you expect the brand new bike or do you expect the pair of socks? Here's what one church expects from God. They read it every week as they make the offering. And to clarify in advance, I'm not suggesting you do this. As we receive today's offering, we are believing God for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favourable settlements, estates and inheritances, Interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessings and increase. To which we can add prosperity for their city and country, small business loans, research and development, and each person being a perfect health zone. Where not only they, but but those around them suffer no illness. Is that our expectation from God? Would we say that? and Well, here's what I expect from God in, in the week and the month ahead. Because, bad news, God hasn't promised to provide all of that. And so when life, as it were, gives us the, the, the pair of socks, we're going to be deeply disappointed. But, couldn't we go to an opposite extreme? And say, well, I don't expect anything from God. Either to think it's all on us to provide for ourselves or just to think that God is, is stingy and has nothing to provide. That, that the physical things, it's, it's, it's up to us. Maybe God will provide some kind of spiritual benefit, but, but basically he does, doesn't provide the things that we really need. I guess there has to be some kind of, of happy medium in between expecting that the small business loan and, and the check to drop through the post box out of nowhere... And to expect nothing at all. But, but where does it sit? I mean, how can we even decide what to expect from someone? I guess track record or how they've treated someone else doesn't always work, does it? Because they might provide less for us than they have for someone else. They may change their mind and become more generous or more stingy. The good news is that's not the case with God. Because God is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we can look at God's track record and and have a good idea of what to expect from him in the future. I mean, that's what we get in Exodus 16. We get, as it were, God's track record. What did God provide for his people in the wilderness? That will set our expectations right. After all, it's kind of like a lab experiment. I was in the labs yesterday at school, watching as they, as it were, tried to exclude every variable to get things down to as pure uh, an experiment, a test as they could. As it were, laboratory conditions. Take everything that might confuse the results. You know, make sure there's no flies mixed in with the chemicals. Make sure they're, that they're as pure as you can to, to, so you can really see what's going on. And that's what we get in Exodus 16. We get God's lab experiment for what he will provide. Take his people and put them somewhere where there is nothing. There is nothing to be had. There's no food, no, no water. As we'll see, put them in a place where, where they deserve Nothing. Well, they could expect, at one level, nothing, and see what God provides. Put them in a place where everything that comes from God will clearly be from him. And then we can see, what is where in a, in a vacuum God will provide. Know that if I were to strip away everything that, that as it were, confuses me, 
everything that I look across in, in the week, in the month, in the year ahead, that, that might appear, appear to be from me, take that all away, that we can see as clearly as possible God's hand and provision behind it. What will we see? I mean, that's just what we get in, in Exodus 16. I hope it helps us to, to as it were, answer that question. What should we expect from God? Let's, let's look, as it were, at the, the great lab experiment of God's provision. The, the purest, as it were, example we can find in, in his word of, of what God will provide. And then use that, as it were, as our, our expectation for the week ahead. And three things to see about God's provision from Exodus 16. We'll see its grace, its sufficiency, and its purpose. Firstly, the, the grace of God's provision. I said in Oxford that the sermon was a bit of a fraud. After all, in Exodus 15, we have a chapter in which we see God's provision. His provision in the Christian life, how he provided water out of nowhere at, at Elam, showed us how he will keep us going in the Christian life. So why do we need Exodus 16? After all, the people should have wandered, as it were, into the desert, into the wilderness of, of sin, utterly sure of what God could and would provide. They'd seen it at Elam, in the water. But more than that, they'd seen it in, in the Passover. Exodus 16 begins on the 15th day of the second month after they left Egypt. Now bear in mind they left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month, the first Passover. Now we aren't given an exact date for for crossing the Red Sea, but we're here roughly 30 days after the Passover when all the firstborn of Egypt were killed. Roughly three weeks, 21 days after the crossing of, of the Red Sea. You would think that God's people would be utterly sure that God would provide. 30 days is not a long time. What was going on 30 days ago? 30 days ago, a, a US National Guardsman was arrested for leaking confidential documents on Ukraine. Nurses were, were planning strike action. The Grand National was, was threatened by climate protesters, and Prince Harry confirmed that he would indeed attend the coronation. Now, if we follow the news, those things don't seem like they were very long ago. I remember them happening. For the people of Exodus 16, the Passover was that long ago, and the crossing of the Red Sea was even nearer. Surely, if anything, they would... They would overshoot and be overconfident. It's going to be fine. A few days ago, God produced water out of a rock at Elim. We're going to be all right. God will provide. I know we're in a desert, but it'll be okay. And yet that is not where we find God's people. If anything, we find the exact opposite. Look down at verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I guess what's happened is that the rations have run out. They set out with, I guess, a month's worth of rations from Egypt. And here they are 30 days later and there is no food left in, in the rucksacks. And they're in a desert. Their situation is, is precarious. At least it would be in ordinary circumstances. 
But even given that, this is a remarkable statement of unbelief. It, it, it runs so deep. They, they don't even complain to God. There's sometimes a pattern in the Bible, isn't there? If God's people get in trouble, they cry out to God and he answers them. Here, they don't even pray. They grumble against Moses and Aaron. That they can't even, as it were, work up enough spiritual energy to, to tell God that he's done something wrong to them. Now, it's Moses and Aaron's fault. More than that, they look back on Egypt and slavery with, with I guess, utterly rose-tinted spectacles. I wish we were back in, in Egypt, where we sat and were, were full of meat and, and bread, which I suspect is a slight misdescription of, of what it's like being a slave. And finally, the, the most they can hope for is that they had died rather than leave. Not God will you provide, we're hungry. Not, well, Egypt was pretty bad, but, but this is bad too. But we wish we were dead in slavery rather than being here. 30 days after the Passover, three weeks after the crossing of a Red Sea. So what will God do? Honestly, what would you expect God to do? I deal with my children. I, I can see them at the back. And every now and then, all the time I think, I hear the cry of, I'm hungry. And my temptation as a human being is to be slightly irritated by that, particularly when it's five minutes after the last meal. But, but here it goes far beyond a cry, a cry of a child, I'm hungry, to uh, an utter cry of, of unbelief and ingratitude. A longing to be back where God had taken them out of, that they might die there rather than be with him in the wilderness. I find it hard to be motivated to respond to my own children with, with grace. You might expect that God would, would respond with, with utter fury, and yet his immediate decision is to, to rain bread from heaven upon the people. That there's no gap, no, well, I might destroy them, but some will step into the gap. No, they grumble, and God says, verse 4, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And then he'll have that declared through his mediator Moses, the one who goes between him and his people. And as he does it, he, he will stand in the, the glory clouds that were behind just to give his people the reassurance at a moment when they can't see him. He, he makes himself seen to them as he, he, he stands in, in all his glory behind Moses and Aaron to show that, that he is in their words. And yes, indeed, he will rain bread from heaven upon them. The, the sheer grace is extraordinary. Nor the one we see that Exodus 16 is not like a kind of Bronze Age Christmas carol where a stingy person suddenly becomes generous or a non-dependent person learns their lesson. After all, the whole chapter reminds us that this is going to be Israel's problem forever. It will go on and on and on. First, they collect too much because they don't think that God will provide the next day. Then they collect too little because they think that God's promise to provide twice as much won't happen. And as we read on next, as we see that almost immediately they're grumbling again about water. 
Water, then food, then water, then food. Not trusting in God's provision. God's grace towards the people who have not depended upon him and will go on not depending upon him is utterly extraordinary. What are we to do with that? Now, I guess the temptation is, is take a passage like this and, and to use it as a, as, a, as a bat to beat ourselves up with, to, to see ourselves in the people of, of Israel. And let's be honest, it's uncomfortable sometimes. It does hold a mirror to us. How at the times often of God's greatest provision to us, we become the most complacent and untrusting in him. The most resentful that that great provision won't continue. But I don't think that's the primary point here. I don't think God's word wants us always to, as it were, turn in upon ourselves and see our ingratitude. After all, it wants to see instead that the grace of God... The principal theme of the Bible is not our, our faithlessness. It's not even our, our, our faith. But it's God's faithfulness. He, he is the hero here as elsewhere. The, the first way to reset our expectations is, is to set our sights on God and see that his provision doesn't depend upon us at all. What and whether God provides does not depend upon me on what faith and dependence I, I can work up, on, on what spiritual high I experience. Here we are, as it were, in the laboratory conditions of the desert, when God's people deserve nothing. Nothing at all. They can put no claim upon him, except the claim that comes from God's own promises and character. And yet he rains down bread from heaven. As I try to think about what God will provide in, in the next week or month or year or decade, the first thing I need to do is to reset my expectations by, by resetting where I'm looking. To look at the character and, and promises of God and not at who I am. Maybe I feel more deserving or less than the people of Israel in Esther 16. But in the end... That doesn't matter at all. Start from yourself and, and, and what you feel you are like and deserve. And the expectations may well be low. Or for that matter, they may well be high if we are in a moment of pride. But, but don't do that. Begin from the grace of God. And we'll have, as it were, a holy optimism in God's provision. But doesn't that come crashing down when we then look at my life and all the ways in which I don't have things I wish I had? At all the unanswered prayers. At all the things I could have but, but don't. All the ongoing needs that, that seem unanswered. Which brings us, I guess, to the second thing I'd have a see from Exodus 16. Which is the sufficiency of God's provision. We've seen the, the grace of God's provision. So to see the sufficiency of God's provision. What does God provide in Exodus 16? Well, well first, the, the quail. But that's passed over quickly, despite the amazing generosity of it. As if God just wants to say, just as kind of a down payment, have some meat in an extraordinary miraculous fashion just to remind you that, that the rest really is coming. You can, you can trust me for, for the rest. But the ongoing provision is, is not the quail, but, but the manna. The name itself means the, the, the what is it, the, the thingamajiggle, highlighting this, this is strange stuff, the manna. People, as always, have worked very hard to try and work out what it was. 
At least one restaurant in New York claims to serve manna. Um, the, the current favoured theory amongst those who, who want to find some kind of physical explanation is it was a, a sort of a sap secretion out of trees that gets eaten by beetles that then secrete out of their shells and it appears on the ground. You can still find this in parts of the Sinai Peninsula and, and gather it up. Of course, that is completely missing the point. Because even if it's true that that's what manna was, you can't feed a whole nation off beetle secretion in normal circumstances. You might find sort of some tiny pile of this stuff in the Sinai Peninsula at times, but the idea you could feed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people off it day by day is, is obviously absurd. And beetles don't produce twice as much on a Saturday, on a Friday, either. Check their watches and go, oh, it's, it's that time of the week. Let's try extra hard to secrete a bit more. Clearly, this is a miracle. It is, to to, to coin a phrase, a very miracly miracle. This is something that God's people must have seen. If had eyes in their head, was from God. They could surely claim no no, no, no involvement in it. I mean, yes, they do something. They have to go out and, and collect it in. God doesn't make it appear, as it were, in their cupboards magically, in their tents. They have to go and get it. But even then, it's, it's strange stuff. You, you collect four times as much as you need, and yet when you pour it out, there's just the right amount. You don't collect enough, and yet when you check, suddenly there's, there's more than you thought. God provides miraculously for his people. But, but, but what does God provide? What well, well, manna? And by all accounts, it, it tasted quite pleasant, although it's not exactly exciting, little cakes of of bread once you boil and bake it up but I guess if he has said in any way I guess what's God provided I guess the answer is he's provided enough a sufficiency again and again the reminder in the collection of the manner is that God provides enough just enough that the people have enough for one day and they don't trust that God will provide enough tomorrow. So they try to keep some of it. They're eking out. So they don't have quite enough today, but, but then they'll have something for tomorrow. But then God is rightly angry and says, but I'm going to provide you enough tomorrow. Eat what I've given you today because you'll have enough tomorrow. You have enough today, you'll have enough for tomorrow. When it gets to, to the Lord's Day, to, to the Sabbath, they'll have enough for two days. When they try to collect too much, they find out that actually they've only got enough. When they try to collect too little, it's okay, they've got enough. God's provision is sufficient. Do you see how that helps us set our expectations aright? I guess we could, as it were, drift off the the line in one of two directions. As as we we hear that God provides enough, as, as we see in Exodus 16 how he provides enough for his people there. First, we may feel that God is not providing enough. I, I frequently feel like this. What, what do we need to do? Well, I guess one I guess sort of encouraged off to you is to, is to, is to look at, at what God has provided with, with the eyes of, of faith. Because after all, much of what God provides to us, we're not in the desert. It's, it's not miraculous. It's not provided in, in the way the manner was, and yet it's still from him. Again, they're going to write the need to, to see what God has given to me. 
Because most of what I receive doesn't come in a miraculous way, whether it be the, the, the student loan payment or, or the paycheck. I must admit, sometimes it seems miraculous the bureaucracy of the school or the government manages to get any money into, into my account at all. It's not clearly God's provision like the man will be, and yet it is. After all, the manna itself wasn't in some ways obviously miraculous for some people. They didn't have to, they had to go and collect it. I guess someone could have tried very hard and said, well, I went and got it. I did the work. If I'd sat in my tent and looked out the, the door flap, there would have been no manna. How quickly we forget that, that everything we have is, is provided by God. I tend to think, I guess, of some things that I have and have had and will have as being, I guess, a baseline if they're just kind of there. Or I deserve them. Or I got them. I think about what will God provide. What I'm talking about really is the, the icing on top of that baseline. The stuff I kind of just, it's just kind of the, the, the background noise of my daily life. Well, that's just there. My, my, my salary, my, my pension, my, my student loan the support that I get from, from family and friends, well, that's just kind of there. But, but I want God to provide this other stuff on top of that. It, but, but that baseline is from God. I find myself thinking this when, I, when I've sat, I'm afraid you're seeing into the, the perhaps my own heart, and, and think, what's the school ever done for me? As they make me teach one more lesson to pupils who refuse to listen. I have to sit and think to myself, they paid me. <laughs> And gave me a house. But you see, in my head, that, that doesn't even count. That, that's just what I deserve. No, I, I don't want from the school just my salary. Of course they give me my salary and, and somewhere to live. One of the joys of being in a boarding school. No, I just want them to give me something extra. Their provision is going to be the, the thanks, the email, the card, the whatever it is that says, aren't you brilliant? But no, each month, month by month, faith provided for me and it's like that with God how quickly I forget what God has provided because it just becomes the background noise of my life it takes as it were going out into the desert and, and seeing what it would be like if we really had nothing to realise that my lunch my, my paycheck are as much a miracle as, as the manna was as much a, a a provision from God, a gift from him, as anything that Israel received in, in the wilderness. It's not just money. So much of God's provision in our lives, from, from our brothers and sisters in, in the church family, to the, to the air we, we breathe, to the energy that we have. How could we forget that they are gifts and, and provision from God, that he's provided enough that we might be sitting here this morning, hearing his word and praising him. I guess our forebears are better at spotting these little providences and provisions than, than we were in some cases, keeping providence books of all the, the daily miracles and answers to prayer that God had provided. Seeing not just the ordinary, but, but the extraordinary in daily life as, as being from him. I guess that's one way we, we, we might go off the, the rails, is, is to miss that God has provided, to think he's not provided enough when, when he's got us there. I guess the other might be to expect too much. And again, we need to hear that God will provide a sufficiency. He will provide enough. There is no promise that he'll provide much. But there is a promise he'll provide enough. 
God's people find as they try to collect too much is that they long to have extra manna to stack the, the, the cakes high, as it were, ready for the next day. That when they look, it's evaporated and all that's left is, is enough. I continue to reflect on the Lord's Prayer. It shows you how slow I am of heart. Because I think the last time I came and preached here, I was preaching on the Lord's Prayer and saying the same thing. I still reflect upon it. That the Lord's Prayer is an extraordinary thing. That when we pray, we pray for our bread for the coming day. We pray for enough to get us through the day. The next day we wake up and we pray according to the Lord's Prayer. Get me through today. Give me enough to keep going. Not, not for a surplus or a sufficiency, but for enough. Isn't it wonderful that God often gives more than that? There are times when he does... Send the quail, as it were, to to cover the camp. There are times when there is more than enough. But there is always enough. So often when I think that God hasn't provided or or won't provide, it's because I'm looking at the next 10 years and not at the next 24 hours. God will provide enough. Enough. How many of my grand plans for decades have evaporated? But how many times have I woken up in the morning and prayed for my daily bread and gone to bed having had just that? In small and extraordinary ways. One of those moving points in my ordained ministry was shortly after being ordained, having someone over for lunch on the Lord's Day. And she said, I'm so glad you invited me for lunch. I prayed this week I'd have enough food for Sunday. Because my money had run out of my food. And God has answered. God provides enough. Does that mean we have to worry about the future? The obvious answer might be, shall I go and spend the pension scheme, give it all away? Well, let me say, please don't do that. And say that it's my fault that you've done it. It's okay to think about the future, but but in my head, here's how I've come to think of the future. My pension fund... I've actually got about five, the joys of keep moving jobs. You get lots of different pension funds. My, my pension for the future, it's not something I possess that exists in many years to come, he says, smiling. Plenty of years, some decades ahead. It's not some future thing I possess. My, my pension fund is something that God has provided me to have today. I may never collect it. I may never get it. I, I may die before then, or the Lord Jesus may return in glory. But I have it today and I have enough for today. doesn't mean I have to give up my pension fund, but I have to see that it's part of my daily bread. As I put away money for the future, it's not because I am guaranteed to to be here in 40 or 50 years' time to collect it, but because God is providing something that I need for today. Can we narrow our focus, as it were, the expectations we have in the same way? To think, as it were, upon the two times that God would have us think of. Today, and his sufficient provision. And eternity, when his provision will be complete. Look in the right places and we'll see that God provides enough. He provides a sufficiency, even as he did miraculously in the wilderness. We've seen that God provides graciously the grace of provision. We've seen the sufficiency of his provision. Finally, and slightly more briefly, that the purpose of his provision. Why will God pour out bread from heaven? A great question to ask when God's people are so sinful and unfaithful. Why will he provide enough? 
Why would it provide only enough? Esther 16 doesn't just tell us that God does provide and how it tells us why he provides. Verse 4, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Verse 6, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 12, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with, the bre- with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. All of God's provision is, is pointed as people's spiritual good. That they would know him as the Lord. That they would know the, the joy of, of walking in his ways and, and law. That they would know his covenant promises to them. After all, knowing that the Lord is God is it's more than some kind of intellectual exercise in which they'll realise that there is a God who can make manna. No, to, to, to know God is to be in relationship with him. All that happens in Exodus 16 will bring his people nearer to God in dependence upon him. Now that puts a, a new spin on God's apparent lack of uh, provision. God, God has provided enough that I might know him. If he provided any more, any less, would I know him as well? Or would I forget him and his ways? As I look back on many hard providences and answered prayers of, of times of, of apparent lack, I look back at them as times in which I grew much nearer to God. God's provided enough for my spiritual good. Enough that I might know that, that the Lord is God indeed. That I might know that God has given me a heart by his spirit to walk in his laws and to know his ways and has brought me nearer to him and more joyful in those ways for all that he has provided. There's so much that could be said here, but I particularly think the emphasis on the Sabbath day is, is helpful. Again and again from the beginning of his provision in this chapter, God points to the, to the Sabbath, to the seventh day rest. The narrative will go on in detail to, to talk about it, how God provided twice as much on the sixth day. There's all sorts of interest in, in, in God talking, provided for the Sabbath in this chapter. Firstly, it reminds us it's not something that was only instituted at, at Sinai, in Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments. No, God's people always had a day of rest. Even, I guess, around the, the pots in Egypt, they're in some way trying to keep the seventh day as a day of rest. It's not announced as some extraordinary new thing they've never heard about before. From creation, God has given a day of, of rest on the seventh day, and, and here they are to keep it still with God's help and provision. Well, I think it fits with this chapter, with the, I guess, the, the, the forward looking aspect of it. It's interesting, isn't it, how here we get a kind of a, a spoiler of the end of the story. As at the end of Exodus 16, we're told how they ate the manna all the way until they came into the land of Canaan. And how some of it will be kept in the ark, which has not been built yet. And indeed was kept in the ark when it was built later in Exodus 20. Later in Exodus, after Exodus 20. You see, it's all pointing to the real purpose of God's provision. God's provision is always pointed to spiritual good. In particular, it's pointed to, to bring his people to the place of rest. Manna was always a temporary thing. It was intended to get his people to worship. To get his people to worship on 
the Sabbath day, week by week, but to get his people to the, to the land of promise, to the place where they would be able to worship him and be his people, where he would dwell amongst them. Even in the wilderness, it was to be a place of worship. Again and again, in the early chapters of Exodus, we're told how God will bring his people out into the wilderness to worship him and be his people. He gets them through the, the six days to the seventh, that they might worship him and rest. He gets them through the wilderness to the land of promise, that they might rest there and know him. God's provision is sufficient, sufficient for our spiritual good and sufficient to get us to himself. To get us through the week to another day of, of worship and commitment and, and rest. To get us through our, our lives with spiritual good to, to be with him forever. And God will provide whatever, whatever is necessary that I need to, to get to heaven. I will lack not one breath, not one calorie, not one day that I need to be with him and rejoice forever in his presence. Above all in that, in looking to our spiritual good, in in being full of grace and sufficiency, full of a purpose to bring us to himself, God has provided the one thing that we need most of all. Jesus would refer back to this incident in John chapter 6. In John 6 he would say from verses 47 onwards in our translations, Truly, truly I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. God often provided everything we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think back over my headings, the, the grace of God's provision, the sufficiency of God's provision, the purpose of God's provision. Well, of course, all of those are, are other ways of saying Jesus. Where, where is the grace of God's provision? Where is it most fully seen? Where, where does God's grace provide? In, in Christ. What is the sufficiency, the, the, the one thing needful, the, the thing that will get us where we need to be? Jesus. What is the purpose of God's provision in the, in the wilderness to point us to Jesus? What is... The means for which he'll achieve his purpose for us today, well, through Christ as it was for the people in the desert, who ultimately in their hearts were feeding upon Christ, even as they fed upon manna. What do you expect God to, to give to you? Set your eyes on his character and provision, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you surely will get it right. You'll see his grace, you'll turn away from what you deserve or don't deserve. You'll see how he's provided enough already and is committed ultimately in giving his own son to to our spiritual good and and not merely our material good. And you'll see that surely his every purpose will be fulfilled to bring us to himself. All God's purposes will be, have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's therefore pray in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your astounding provision for your people in the wilderness. That it might stand as a a testimony to us who dwell not in a a physical, literal wilderness, but in the wilderness of this life, this valley of tears and the, the shadow of death, that you can provide all that we need. 
Thank you above all that you have done that and shown us that in Jesus Christ, that the great bread from heaven. By feeding upon him would we know eternal life. Joy now, trust, peace, dependence, and joy eternal in the new heaven and new earth. In his name we pray. Amen.